Well, we are kicking off a uh, new series. And this is one that it, today's sermon is going to be a little bit different. And so because normally I get to chew on a concept and I get to be able to just attack it from all these different angles and I get to use lots of stories and talk about my kids and all these different things. But today's message is literally going to be an overview of the Bible. Okay? Everybody gets intimidated when the pastor says he's going to preach from Genesis to Revelation, but I really am going to today. So, Cutie said she didn't bring a snack. Don't worry. We'll be done. We will be done at the normal time. But if you've got your version app open, if you've got your your notes in hand, there's a lot of scriptures that are going to be on the version that aren't because I would just could not squeeze them into your bulletin. And so if you want to get all of them, check us out on version. But we're, this series is called 30,000 Feet. And we have people who in our church who've walked with God for a long, long time. And we have people who maybe this is their first adult church. And they don't know a whole lot about the Bible. And they don't know a whole lot about these things. And they've recognized that Jesus is who he said he was and embraced him. But then we, we go through something like our Bible reading program that we go through every year. And we're going to kick it off again in January. Just a couple short months from now. Um, then they're reading through stuff and reading through the Old Testament and, and seeing some of these, these aspects of God that they're like, wow, God's harsh and God's tough. And, and look at all these different things. And there were some, some pretty seemingly mean things God did. And if you don't have the big picture view of the Bible, then it's hard to take it in. So what we're doing today as a pastor as I want to help set the parameters and help set this so we get the 30,000 foot view, we get the big picture view of the Bible. And we're going to cruise through this. And this is important. Because see, we have a big God. And he has a big plan to have a big family. And if we do not see the big picture, then we're going to miss the big part that we should play. You get the sense that this is a big deal? It is a big deal. And if we don't understand it, we won't embrace how important our right now is. We're going to talk about all of creation and all of eternity future. But and when you understand that, then you'll embrace how important your moment is. How your right now is so incredibly vital. Because we can bumble through life and things can go good and whatnot. And we can end up kind of taking credit. And maybe there was somebody else making some stuff happen, and we didn't realize. We, we need to understand that there's a bigger picture at play. I love the story of <clears throat> Thomas Wheeler, who was the CEO of Mass Mutual Insurance Company um, for quite a while. He had retired in early uh, 2000s, and um, he was on a leisurely trip with his, with his wife. They were cruising down the highway, just on a little vacation. He looks at the gauge on his uh, tank, and he's about to run out of gas. It's going to be pretty bad deal if he has to have his honey push on their vacation. That just doesn't go over well. And um, so he finds the first exit, goes into this little town off the highway, finds a place, and it's the old school setup where you actually have this person who's a gas station attendant who comes out, cleans the windshield, checks the oil, checks all that kind of stuff it's old school it's like going back to mayberry or something i mean he like found a time warp exit and he goes over and he pulls in the gas station's real nostalgic and he 
lets the gas station attendant know what's happening. And he just begins to walk around, stretch his legs, and see the place. Comes back over, pays the gas station attendant, tips him, and notices as he's walking up that this guy is engaged in a pretty serious conversation with his wife. That they're talking and visiting, and he pays the guy, gets in the vehicle, and right as he's about to leave, the the um, gas station attendant looks through him and to his wife and says, it's so good to see you. Enjoy getting to catch up. He pulls down the road and pulls out, and he's like, did you know him? She's like, yeah. Yeah, I used to actually date him in high school. We went steady for a year and uh, before I ever met you. And, of course, CEO of a big company just tipped her old boyfriend for cleaning his windshield. He's feeling pretty good about himself. Puffs up and he says, well, sweetheart, aren't you glad that I came along? Because you could have been the uh, wife of a gas station attendant instead of the wife of a CEO. And she says, "Uh, no, if I'd have married him, he'd have been the CEO and you'd have been the gas station attendant. (laughs) (laughs) Wives have a way of reminding us that it isn't all us. And guess what? No man is an island and no man gets anywhere by himself. And if we don't have an appreciation for the process and we don't have an appreciation for the bigger picture that we play in, then honestly, then we're going to end up making life all about us. But when we begin to see the bigger picture, all of a sudden it doesn't make us irrelevant. It makes us more relevant. I want you to embrace this as we begin to blast through this, that your life is so vital and so important and you being alive here and now and the scope of what we're about to talk about is so incredibly important. We want to go back to Genesis 1. We're going to go back to where all of this got started. Genesis 1, God creates. God, in all his wonder, who has always been, decides to create a starting point for what we know as time. He had already been, and that's why we can't wrap our minds around him. All we know is this linear time thing. And when we really try to do it, if we really try to understand it, our brains kind of get into tilt. We can't really go there. So we just go, okay, eternity, big concept, move on. And... um, so uh, God begins to create and he steps out onto the, the big void and the chaos and begins to divide things around and shuffle things and put things the way he wants to do it. And he does it in phases. He does it in stages. He doesn't just snap his fingers. God enjoys the process. Okay? In your life, God enjoys the process. Okay? We want the instant remake. We want, come in. God, I bring you. I am chaos. I invite you into my universe. Have an instant remake. Are we instantly born again when we say yes? Yes, we are. We are heaven ready at that moment. But then we begin this remaking process. And we need to let that happen and enjoy that. We tend to get frustrated we're not there yet. And we will waste our right here now. And so... Here we are, we're going to jump into verse 27. It says, so God created mankind. He had already had day one, day two, day three, day four, day five. Here we are, we're in day six. Everything else has been created. The sun, the moon, the stars, the oceans, the tides, the currents, the winds, the the life in the oceans, life on the, the, the surface of the earth. 
animals, grass, everything is just right. Everything's just right. He had prepared a place for humanity. Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. That's exciting. It's part of how our God works. And here he had prepared a place for humanity. And so God created mankind in his own image. And in the image of God, he created them male and female. He created them. And God blessed them and said to them, welcome to the planet. I'm God. Nope, didn't have a greeting. Guess what? You're man. I just made you. I want to tell you about day one, two, three, four, and five. He did, but not at that moment. Right then, woo, life is there. And he says, be fruitful and increase in number. Feel the earth and subdue it. God created and said, I want a whole bunch more just like this. And I want them, I'm inviting them into the process. I'm inviting my creation to enjoy what I am enjoying right now. I'm not going to be the only part partaker in this creative thing. I'm going to let them be a part of it. I'm going to let them understand what it is to have hold life in their hands and to enjoy the process of seeing them go from complete dependence to growing up into who they are. I'm going to invite the number one of all creation to enjoy this just like I enjoy it. And he said and says, be fruitful and multiply. God wanted a big family. He sets it all, creates it all, turns it loose. And then here we are. He says, rule over the fish of the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. God saw all that he made and every other time he said it was good. But at this moment, he says, it's very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. And in his contentment, he rested. The seventh day, things were going the right way. Humanity had their place to live. He could see down the road, even though it was just two, he could see the fullness of it all playing out. He wasn't going to rush it. He was going to savor each one as they come along. He's savoring your life. He created you to be in relationship with Him. He is savoring you right now. He saw you in that moment. You know, you can go to a, a buffet. You can even go to maybe Vegas or someplace, and they've got some good buffets. But you want to have a really good meal? You have a really good meal, then you have a chef that's attending to you. And you order it, and they create it, and they bring it to you as fresh as it can be. And you enjoy it. And then the next course, they bring it to you as fresh as can be. And it's not pre-done or spread out and say, oh, it's all already here. In our lives, we want it that way. We want it. God, just go ahead and lay it all out, and I'll just take it as I need it. I want to make sure it's there. I want to see it in advance. But God wants us to savor that moment. Every one of those things as he creates and has it fresh. Could he have populated the whole world and made us all on planet day one? Sure, he could have. But he wanted to savor every life. He wanted us to be a part of the process. He wanted us to understand and enjoy. Enjoy what it is to be in each other's life and enjoy the process. 
of not only our immediate family, but our friends. That's why we can enjoy each other's children like we can our own. Because we've been invited in to that process. And so here it is. God wanted a big family. He set the wheels in motion and he rested because he said, this is where it's going. Let's jump all the way to the end of the story. Let's get over. We're going, if you have a paper Bible, we're here. In, I want you to take, we're at the very beginning in Genesis 1. We're going to go all the way to the back in Revelation 7. And this is looking forward to a moment that hasn't happened yet. We're looking forward to something that God in his eternity sees and knows. And he lets this guy named John the Revelator, he sees him see this. And, it's, and John writes, he says, After I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count. From every nation, tribe, people, language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes. They were wearing white robes. Were holding palm branches in their hand, and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. That salvation is, is that we were, something was right on the verge of total annihilation and something came in and prevented that. That God owns, He owns it, salvation. And here in this, that, that vision that God had had in Genesis 1 is being lived out right here in the throne room of God. And there is a sea of humanity that no one can number. You read your whole Bible, and there's a lot of big numbers of people. Lots of them. But here at the end, there are tons and tons. If there are, you run into people that say, man, there's just a, I hope I'm just in the handful to make it. Read this. It's not a handful. He's not making it hard. He wants us all. He wants us all. That's the plan the whole time. And salvation belongs to him. But there's a story in the middle of Genesis 1 and Revelation 7. And you and I right now are living in that middle. And there was a plan that was connected. God created humanity. To be in relationship with him. And when that was broken, God immediately went to work to provide a way back. Immediately he went to work. In the garden, he went to work. Genesis 2, verses 16 through 17. Now this is something that's... <clears throat> that, uh, let's just go ahead and read it. And the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden. But you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. They knew only good. That's all they knew. They lived in the presence of God. They knew only provision, only health, only, only good relationship with one another. They knew only good. But if they were to embrace the knowledge of evil that did exist... Then all of a sudden, then now they have an awareness of both, and they would, they would choose evil. And death comes with that. 
We will look at Genesis 3. We're going to start in verse 13, even though 15 is what's in your notes. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. And so the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals, and you'll crawl on your belly, and you will eat dust all the days of your life, and I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers, and he will crush your head, and he will, you will strike his heel. This is one of the, the first prophetic scriptures of what Jesus would do. This is one of the first pictures of Jesus there, and he... God immediately talks about his plan to have Jesus destroy what the enemy had brought in. Immediately there was a plan to fix things. 1 Corinthians 15 says, Then the end will come when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. And the last enemy to be destroyed is death. That God had a plan, and his plan was Jesus from the very beginning. That death came into humanity, and through Jesus, God was even going to destroy death by putting all of those things under his feet. See, God was going to bring a Savior, and he raised up a people who would be looking for him. God was going to bring about a way for the death to be taken care of. But somebody had to recognize him when he showed up. Somebody had to be looking for Jesus. Because guess what? As you and I go through life, we weren't doing it. Every other person on the planet wasn't doing it. And God immediately begins to go through to raise up a people who would be looking for a savior and would recognize him when he showed up i like to refer it as that that the jewish nation the israelite people that they were holding the messiah sign we've seen it on tv where the little guy with the little chauffeur hat all dressed up he's there at the airport he's got the limo he's got the little sign that says uh rust you don't know what Russ looks like, but you know he's supposed to pick up Russ. And he's got the little sign. And he's sitting there waiting on Russ. When the Jew, God needed a group of people who were anticipating and looking. And when Jesus showed up on the scale of our timeline, they go, there he is. That's our Savior. That's the one that's going to fix this and put things right. And it starts in Genesis 12 says, the Lord said to Abram, later he'll change his name to Abraham, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you, and I'll make you into a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great, and, I will, and you will be a blessing. It doesn't stop there. God's doing all of this for a purpose, and I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses, I will curse you, and all the people on earth will be blessed through you. Every person of creation was on God's mind as he was talking to Abraham. He's got, I've got a plan that encompasses everybody and I'm going to bring it about 
through you. I need you to be watchful for this. I need you to talk about it. I need you to talk to your kids about it and teach your kids to talk to their kids about it. I've got a plan to impact the whole world. I've got a plan to impact the whole world. I want you to understand how, how we see should embrace the power of this. Because here is a guy who lives in an obscure place on the planet there's all of these other world powers, whether it was the, the Syrians or the Egyptians or all of these other cultures that were powerful. And here's an obscure guy with no children and no land. He wasn't even like a big landowner guy. And God makes this promise to him. All of these thousands of years later, 54% of our world population today looks back to Abraham on some level. Whether it's the Christians or the, the Jewish people or even the <clears throat> Islamic faith comes back to Abraham. 54% of our current world all this time later honors and reveres this man. What are the odds of that? That this would be written when he wasn't squat. And all of a sudden, now all these years later, you can go on to any place on the planet and there's somebody who knows and going to tell you something about Abraham. Amazing. Amazing. Genesis 22. He promises him again. He says, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. And your descendants will take possession of cities of their enemies. And through your offspring, all nations on the earth will be blessed. Because you have obeyed me. Now, blessed doesn't mean that you're just given a little bit of money or something. This connotation of blessed is your whole life in the way it should be. It, is, it has this sense of pure joy and contentment all wrapped up in it. <clears throat> he gets this, God speaks this same thing to his son Isaac. It says, that night the Lord appeared to him, Isaac, and said, I am the God your father, do not be afraid, for I am with you. I will bless you and increase the, your descendants for the sake of my servant Abraham. Abraham has two sons. This honestly, God's got this big plan, and it looks like it's going nowhere fast. Abraham, this goes to Isaac. Where is this going to get bigger? Isaac has two sons. All right, at least had some twins here, Esau and Jacob. Nope, it's just through Jacob. God, this one in the time, and it ain't going to get us very far. But then all of a sudden, at Jacob or Israel, that's why he's called the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It's those, those promises were made. And then inside of Israel, inside of Jacob, every one of those are connected and included. Jacob's descendants will be like the dust of the earth, and he'll spread out to the east and the west and north and the south, and all the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. See, Genesis 18 is another time where God mentions what he's going to do for Abraham. And it says, Abraham will become a great and powerful nation. All nations on the earth will be blessed through him. For I have chosen him so that he will direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just so that the Lord will bring about for Abraham, all that he had promised. 
that they were to keep the way, that God had a way that he was going to reach out to humanity and that Abraham's assignment was and his kids were to keep that and to be mindful of that way. Well, then as we go through Genesis, we begin to see and we see all these stories and the intricacies and the Bible doesn't paint these pretty little glossy pictures of these guys. I mean, there's some really rough stories in these guys' lives. But man, God has a plan and he's using and working with what he can work, what he has to work with. And we get to Jacob and he has his he has his 12 boys and there's all of the tension and fighting and they do one of the worst things that a bunch of brothers could ever do. And they take their baby brother and they sell him off as a slave. He ends up in Egypt. God's hands on him. He rises to power. He gets thrown in. He's a slave. Then he's a prisoner. And then all of a sudden he's prime minister. And in that, there was, God gives him wisdom to understand there's a famine coming. And he brings all of the, the nation of Israel, all of Israel's descendants, 75 of them. And he brings them to Egypt to live there while the famine's going on. Well, things got pretty cushy. They stayed there. They were given the best of the land. He was the prime minister. They stayed there. But there's this one interesting detail about them. Is that the people of Egypt despised shepherds. They hated them. They were disgusting to them. They would not eat with them. They, would not inter- they wouldn't talk with them. They wouldn't intermarry with them. And all of the nation of Israel, all those 75 people, their vocation were all shepherds. To the point so that even when... When uh, Joseph is prime minister, he's the big guy. When he eats, he's at a table all by himself. And everybody else is at another table because he was from a family of shepherds. It didn't matter. He was the number one guy in the whole most powerful country. They would not eat with him. That plays into this deal because the next 400 years, the people of Israel lived there. And I guarantee you, there were some good-looking Israelites in those 400 years that turned a few Egyptian heads. I guarantee it. There's some specimens. There's some good-looking men. But those young ladies, those were shepherds, and they, no intertwined. I guarantee you there were some fine-looking Egyptian girls that those Israeli boys walked by every day. And like, mm, she is good-looking. But she wouldn't have a thing to do with them because, and all that they could do was stay together. The gods of Egypt could not find their way. They did not get deluded and taken in. And a nation, because of the hate and the oppression, a nation grows inside of Egypt for 400 years until Moses comes along and it's time to now say, I want my people out of there. And I'm going to give them their own land. And this is documented history and this has never happened at any other time ever in history. Ever has a group of people, a nation, come out of another nation and be its own. It's never happened, ever. That one day, all of a sudden, God, through these miraculous things, takes an entire group of people out and makes them this whole nation. It was an absolute amazing thing. And he does it with all of, through all the plagues and all these different things. And, and parts the Red Sea. And every one of those million plus people walk through seeing walls of water on each side of them. Every one of them. Every kid, every old man, every person walks through. Saying, I, we're leaving Egypt. All million plus of us, we're together. And we're rich. They gave us everything. 
And they're walking through and seeing water stand up like walls and the ground dry. And there's without a doubt that he is the God of the universe. He isn't a story mama told them. They are living a miracle. And they go out. And then we see that they still complain and they still whine and they still want to go back sometimes. But they're a separated nation. See, the truth is the entirety of the Scripture points to Jesus as the one who would be our Savior and allow us to to step from death into life. In Luke 24, the entirety of Scripture, we have this, the the Emmaus Road experience. If you've been on a walk to Emmaus, you understand this is where this comes from. And Jesus is walking with the two guys down this Emmaus Road after the resurrection. And we catch him in verse 25, and it says, And he said to them, How foolish you are, and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what he said in the scriptures concerning himself. And all the scriptures had lined up. There's even a time where sweet Jesus is rude to somebody, where this lady, a Syrophoenician, a non-Jewish lady comes up with a sick daughter, and she wants her to get healed. And Jesus says, look, I'm sent to to the people of Israel. They're the ones looking for me. This is my assignment. I'm to present myself to them. And says, healing's the children's bread. She's like, but the, the little dogs that sit around, they can eat the crumbs. That's enough. His heart, knowing that she was included in Papa's plan anyway, she's like, oh my gosh, your faith is so huge. She's healed. And she was healed. But his assignment was to these people who were looking for him, that all these scriptures, and from, from that Genesis point through all these different things, whether Psalms, Proverbs, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Malachi, all of them are pointing to Jesus over and over and over, building the case of who Messiah was going to be. It is a mathematical improbability, just impossibility that Jesus isn't the Messiah when you look at how many prophecies he fulfilled. Mathematicians, it's just no way. He has to be it. And the whole thing points to him. So then we get to Jesus, we get to Matthew. So all of that Old Testament scripture is keeping those people pure because they're the ones with the secret that, that Savior's coming. So yeah, he's hard on them. When they start to dilute it, It's like, no, the whole world's resting on this. My whole plan is resting on this. Don't you worship over here. Don't you pollute this over here. Don't you dilute it at all. The whole world is resting on you looking for the Savior. And the people of Israel carried a heavy load. Thank God they did it. And when Jesus showed up, not everybody everybody saw it, but there are those that did. And our Savior comes on the scene. And he shows up. And remember that Abraham's descendants were told that they are to keep the way. John 14, 6, Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. He was going to come to destroy death. He was going to under the, remember she says that serpent deceived me. He was bringing the truth. I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life undoing all of everything that was jacked up in the garden. Everything that humanity had done. No one comes to the Father except through me. I'm the one that's making it 
right. John 6, 40 says, For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son, believes in Him, shall have eternal life, and I will raise Him up the last day. That's God's plan. He's still seeing He's still seeing that Revelation 7 moment. See, the New Testament writings are given to us. We start with Genesis. We look through the other. All that points to Jesus. Jesus shows up. The Gospels are given and the New Testament writings are given for two reasons. They're given to reveal Jesus and to teach us how to respond to him. The Gospels reveal who he is. A lot of Paul's writings reveal who he is. And they teach us how to respond, how to connect. Matthew 28 says, When they saw him, and see the whole time it's still everybody, everybody reached the people. When they saw him, this is the end of Matthew, they worshipped him. Jesus is there resurrected. They worshipped him, but some doubted. Some doubted. And then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you and surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Acts 1, we see Jesus, it's his last words before he ascends into heaven. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, right where they were at, in Judea, the next region in Samaria, another culture that they despised but was right there close, and to the ends of the earth. And after this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud was hidden him. He reminded them the plan. The plan. Take the truth that you know that we, I set things right and I've destroyed death and everybody can get in on it. Take that to everyone. So you're like, so all recorded time, all of recorded time has been about this plan, about God having a family? Yes. <laughs> yes. All of recorded time is about that. All of time still, if Jesus doesn't come back, it's because he's still, heaven is not full, yet, full enough yet. And you're like, man, this seems slow. No, it's patient. Second Peter 3, 9 says, The Lord is not slow in keeping His promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, He's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. See, when you see the big picture, we can understand what God is doing in our own lives and be able to live the life that is truly life. The truth that God loves you, that He wanted you a part of His family, has come thousands of years and thousands of miles to you. And it's your choice what you do with it. But once we've embraced it, then our assignment is to make sure we're not a dead end. That it didn't march all that distance and impact our lives, and then we sit quietly... And not just let it move forward. 
I'm not saying you got to get a bullhorn and stand on the corner. I'm not saying you got to go to seminary and preach and, or whatnot. I'm saying all you got to do is with those that God has given you some influence, is at some point open your mouth and let them know. Let them know you once were lost, but now you're found. That you're still a work in progress, and it's okay because God loves the process. That don't judge the mighty power of God by the fact that you're not finished. Judge the mighty power of God by the fact that you're confident that you're in that sea of humanity. <laughs> that picture there in, in Revelation 7, when John was there, I think I waved at him. Hey, buddy! I'm there. I'm there. He got to see a picture of something I haven't got to live yet. But I'm there. And if you believe that Jesus Christ is the Savior, you are there too. And let's just make sure that those that we care about are there. That's got to be more important than their habits. That's got to be more important than what they look like on the outside. That's got to be more important than if they've hurt your feelings recently or not. That's got to be more important. It's all God's plan from start to finish is Him having a big family. And you fit in it. And he is savoring you. And he has a plan for your life. And he wants, he's carried the message to you, which means he believes you'll carry it forward. That's the big picture. It's the big picture. I want us to create a, a quiet moment here. And if you're here this morning, and you're like, Brandon, I get it. God loves me. He sent Jesus to deal with the death and the pain and the lies. And I see that Jesus is the 